Welcome to AM Best Audio. Past six years, Sean Cavellian has been the Chief Executive Officer of the Insurance Information Institute. He has guided the organization through changing times, both externally and internally. And he joins us now. Sean, so glad you could join us today. Hey, good to see you. Great to be here. So, Sean, I recently sent a letter to the SEC as it pertains to climate resilience. Right. Can you tell us about both the contents of that letter and the reason for sending it? Yeah, absolutely. As part of the IIII's mission, our our mission is to inform and be a trusted source of information, and that includes the policymaking community. And what we see oftentimes at the federal level um, is really some some misunderstanding of the industry. We saw that during the financial crisis where they applied, uh, we're we're a different type of financial service, and, and they really don't always recognize that, mainly because they don't regulate the industry. We're regulated by 50 plus uh, state state regulators. Uh, what we tried to do is one, uh, in, in, in the circumstances here, and we've seen this as well with the Department of Treasury, is you've got a bit of a horse race happening in the Biden administration. They put a climate person in every single part of the administration. And so the SEC seems to be the one that wants to get out of the gate first. Um, we wanted to, to let them know, one, you know, the fundamentals of insurance and, and why you need to apply different circumstances to, to insurance and understand it more. Again, we've seen in the past that they don't always recognize the fundamental differences. Uh, secondly, we wanted to let them know as well that there's quite a bit of work being done already related to climate risk by the insurance industry. You know, one, we, in terms of our solvency, um, we, we have been planning for this for some time. We've been seeing our insurance loss costs since the 80s related to natural catastrophes increase 700%. We've been seeing this and we've been planning for it. That's why our policyholder surplus is, is towards a trillion dollars. So reminding them that, that we have that type of, you know, the own risk solvency assessment that we do hand in hand with the state regulatory community. So there, there is a lot going on. The other side of it as well is just what the industry is already doing. Um, it establishes and, and then funds nonprofits like IIII, like the IBHS, the Institute for Business and Home Safety, like the Griffith Foundation dedicated to public policy making education, even like the Build Strong Coalition, which is a legislative uh, legislative group dedicated to promoting resilience-based legislation. There's a lot of work that we're doing around this I- issue. We're paying very close attention to it. And then the, the other side of it as well is as we are paying close attention to it, particularly in the property casualty side of the insurance business, we wanted to make sure that we understand why it, we need to make a responsible transition to the likes of a low carbon environment. Um, that We only need to look towards Russia and, and Ukraine right now of what, what can happen in Europe if you shut off existing energy sources. We need to, people need to understand that needs to be responsible. They also need to understand that the energy community is oftentimes doing the most uh, in terms of action around low carbon. However, carbon there seems to be a bit of an obsession with. And we also want to remind them that there's another part of the climate reset that's happening. It's physical infrastructure. And we need to put emphasis on that because it's the here and now. The low carbon environment is arguably 50 years out. But we've got physical infrastructure issues right here, right now, that we need customers and communities to better understand and better mitigate and manage risk. I do think many, much of the Biden administration is interested in that, but we just want to make sure that they stay focused. And these, this outline that I've just provided you for the SEC is very much in line with what we provide to the Treasury Department, too, who had similar uh, requests for information. 
So has there been a response to the letter? We have not seen any response. Uh, we did work hand in hand with our member member companies to draft the letter to to help that they reflected their positionings of ours. But again, we we haven't seen a direct response just yet. But we welcome sitting down and, and explaining this further to them because we want these agencies to better understand what insurance is, the important role it plays in the likes of economic growth and sustainability being a financial first responder. These are all things that we don't want to disrupt just because we're looking for a new layer of regulation. On another matter, I has been more and more outspoken on the topic of wildfire, especially in the wake of President Biden's disaster declaration in New Mexico. How is I working with insurers when it comes to wildfire? Well, our, our mission is, is to be an information source. And we're finding more and more that people want to know about this. They want to know how to better manage risk and what's going on. In 2021, the I had 8 million visitors to its website. The number two most visited page was wildfires. So people are understanding that this issue is coming more and more to their front door, literally. Um, more and more because they're living in harm's way. So our role, as we see it at IIIA, is to be actively engaged in informing people about what the risk is and what they can do to mitigate it. You know, again, you move into the West and you see these beautiful forests that you want to live in and be part of. But oftentimes as they're purchasing that property, they don't apply any risk factors to it. They just go with their emotions and their gut. There's not as much risk management embedded in the per property purchasing process. And we believe that needs to happen and absolutely needs to happen around wildfires. And in fact, we also just brought on a new non-resident scholar from San Jose State University, Dr. Craig Clements, uh, who's been working with us as well. And we're using his uh, ac academic perspective to, again, inform and be actively engaged in this so that people can learn and can better manage risks around wildfires. Kind of on a related topic, I noticed that IIII commented on homeowners' rates going up in Florida. Mm -hmm. What's going on in the Sunshine State? You know, it's it's ironic because we, we think of Florida as a natural catastrophe-prone state, you know, hurricanes in particular. What's going on in Florida doesn't have anything to do with natural catastrophes. This is what we call social inflation, and it's live and in action. We've got extreme litigation, and we've got extreme fraud happening in the state, and it's causing insurers to become insolvent. Um, this is a great illustration that if we don't focus on ways to limit the likes of what, what, the, what the trial attorneys are doing and plaintiff, plaintiff bar is doing to actively engage customers and, and help them create a, a huge claim cost that simply doesn't need to be there. It, you know, we, we see advertisements. One of our, our colleagues, Mark Freelander, who lives in the Florida State, has sent us around these flyers that roofing contractors are putting out saying they can guarantee an insurance claim will be paid for their roof to be redone. These are, these are costs that are increasing so much that the, the risk transfer tool is, is beginning to go by the wayside. And it, it's becoming a tragedy because the rates are, are significantly high. And again, but it's not naturally catastrophe. This is man-made. This is social inflation in action. So what can insurers do about that? Well, we're working again at IIII to, to proactively inform this discussion. Um, actually, what we'll be starting next week, a digital advertising campaign to help people better understand policymakers, customers, what these mean. It might sound great to get a new roof, but it's going to mean overall that rates are going too high for people to want to, to afford. Um, we're seeing, you know, as well, people even self-insuring 
in this state that that has so so naturally natural catastrophe prone. So insurance company, we're trying again in, in, to to getting engaged to make sure that people understand what the consequences are of signing up for a big litigation case, of signing up for a new roof, because this could be a reality that sets in in other states. You know, Louisiana is actually seeing very similar circumstances where its its costs are beginning to, to go up, and we're seeing some some uh, smaller amount of insurers going insolvent there as well. You mentioned a digital campaign that gives us a perfect segue to talk about cyber. What what's going on in the cyber market? Well, it's it's very interesting. I think we're still trying to figure ourselves out around cyber, quite honestly, as an industry. Um, but we're, what you're also seeing is it's getting a lot bigger. You know, this isn't just you know somebody sitting in their home in some distant land that's hacking into your personal house. Um, these are large cartels that are dedicated to taking down big companies with large dollars and putting ransom on it. And that's increasing the cost. We're talking about billions of dollars of claims at this point in cyber. And so that's causing rates to increase in the industry. In fact, year over year, cyber insurance rates uh, for this quarter went up 135%. Now, the other part of cyber is it's getting more expensive um, to underwrite, but it, and it's also getting more narrow in its underwriting. At the same time, what we worry about a little bit is whether or not a cyber event could be somewhat like a pandemic in that it isn't limited to time and geography. And what does that mean for our risk transfer tool and how far can insurance go? So we're working hard to better understand what the role of insurance is and what the role of others may be, including government. Um, and that's, that's going to be important because we have found, again, as I was mentioning on your first question, not everyone completely understands how insurance works in, in the federal government or elsewhere. And so we want to make sure if something happens like this, people understand what the role is. Because we, we had a challenge that we had to overcome, and, but we're still dealing with somewhat during the pandemic in terms of the business interruption insurance, where people got misguided, mainly from plaintiff attorneys, that they had a claim when, in fact, you know, it was established either it was excluded from the policy or sim the simple fact of the matter is that a, a virus doesn't cause physical damage. We need to make sure that people understand that what the role of cyber insurance is and is not, quite honestly. Completely different topic, Sean. Yeah. Uh, I recently formed an affiliation with the institutes, recently being since the last time I've seen you. Sure. What does that mean for the two organizations? Well, I think the, the the phrase that I always use about this is being stronger together. And I think that that is really what uh, the Institute's leadership with Pete Miller had, had intended as, as a part of a strategic direction they, they began to take years ago, in that they were bringing other industry nonprofits together um, so as to quite honestly, give the CEO, the paying person of a lot of these these nonprofits, uh, a better line of sight of what's happening and how we can be more effective together. Um, I was Before I joined III, I was on the side of managing uh, nonprofit budgets. Um, I oversaw public affairs globally for Zurich and had several of them through, around the world. Um, when you're a non, and usually these are managed by the non-revenue producing entity, and that usually means that every year they come and ask you which ones are going to make it or not. And for that reason, um, I began to personally want to change the model of III to not just be reliant on membership dues. Um, I wanted to also build out a more business-oriented non-membership revenue stream, which we didn't have. Um, we you know, were 96% reliant on membership dues. 
Um, and I noticed very, and I noticed very quickly as well that I wanted Triple I to focus on, and myself in particular, and the rest of the team. We wanted to focus more on fulfilling the mission, and to do that, I think we needed some operational support as well. And then came the tra then came the institutes and learning more about their strategy. And since we've now uh, integrated into the institutes as an affiliate, we found that all of these things are coming to scale in the way that both organizations wanted to. So we're, we have very good operational support with the Institute's team. We have strong collaboration with the Institute's and all of the affiliates in finding ways that we can complement each other's work. Uh, the Institute's Board of Trustees now has a very clear line of sight into all of the affiliates, including III, and is getting very encouraged by the work that we're doing. And then when I mentioned on the non-revenue, uh, the non-membership revenue streams, we've been able to, to increase that significantly as well. In fact, uh, just this year, we've been able to, to gain a, at least a $500,000 pipeline in non-membership revenue. So that those are things that we wanted to focus on. Uh, we believe that you know the membership companies, we, we don't want to put a financial strain on them as much, we, but we wanted to make sure that we could sustain ourselves. And this is all coming to, to scale very well. And then what Triple I is also doing with the institutes is, we think, and, and I think uh, Pete Miller would agree, that more people need to know about what the institutes is and is doing because it's pretty significant. So I would venture to say that through our public affairs and public relations experience at Triple I, we'll be helping the institutes get that word out more too. So what changes should we expect at either one of the uh, organizations? That's really one of the, the, the neat things about it uh, that, that I give a lot of credit to the, the Institute's leadership team is that they don't want to change for the sake of change. They want to help. They truly want to help one another be stronger together. So the only changes that, that we, you know, location changes, no. Team changes, no. Uh, it's all changes to help better each other. And I mentioned all of those just previously about ways that we can improve our functionality. Um, even so far as the institutes is maybe one change that you'll be seeing is hopefully in the next year or so we're, we're revamping our website. We're getting so much traction on that website that we have right now. We want to make sure it's capable of getting even more and it becomes more dynamic. And the institutes is actually making a significant investment to help us do that. So. Um, that's perhaps one change, but everything uh, in terms of changes that I found in our integration has been quite positive, and we're really enjoying it. I was going to say, it sounds like it's been a pretty good partnership to this point. It really has. Again, I, I give a lot of credit to the Institute's culture. Um, they have a very strong culture of working in a positive way with people um, and wanting to, to make sure that we are stronger together, and I think uh, the team has been motivated at I about that. Um, I have personally been motivated by it, and, and we're just really enjoying ourselves. I think I'm, I'm quite honestly having some of the best time uh, because I am able to fo focus on what I built my career around, which is strong public affairs and, and informing important discussions. And that's really beginning to work. You know, our, uh, our independent site links, meaning others using the III content, uh, is now around 11,500. Uh, we started me measuring this about four years ago. Um, in the last two years, it's gone up five times, and it's now comparable with neck and neck with RAND. And it's twice as, and that, and that metric is twice as large as any other insurance-based either news publication, trade association. So we're, we are beginning to fulfill that mission in an effective way, and I'm really enjoying that. Sean Cavallion, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much. For AM Best TV, I'm John Weber. Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, 
AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.